You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love getting into people's life journey. I think it's helpful to not compare yourself to other people or to act like, oh, they have their life all together and they always did and it's easy for them. I want to help you get out of your own way and to own your life, your path, your journey, no no matter where you are. On today's episode, I have Nitika Chopra, and um, she's awesome. You're going to love her. The most recent thing that I think is amazing that she's done is created the Chronicon community, which we will talk about that and so much more. Before we get into it, please remember to subscribe if you haven't yet and leave a review for the podcast. And if you do, you can screenshot your review and send it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I'll send you a little gift from my product line because I really appreciate it. Okay, let's get into the episode. I like starting with getting to know what people's life was like growing up, but especially like the high school years, I can feel like there we have this pressure of like, what should I do with the rest of my life? And that can come from the external world of like, this is what you should do. You should go to college, this, or sometimes the internal like drive. Like if you were somebody that had some big dream or felt like this, my parents want me to do this or whatever. Yeah. I, um, it's funny because as soon as you said you wanted to know about high school years, I like was like, really, we have to talk about that because that was the shit show. Um, so that let's just preface all of this with that. Um, but yeah, my high school years were some of the most challenging. It got more challenging later, but there was definitely the start of a lot of my challenges. I was, you know, diagnosed with my first chronic illness when I was just 10. So going into high school and I have one of my chronic illnesses is psoriasis, which at the time was like very, very visible. So I was covered from like head to toe with psoriasis and going through, you know, teenage years is hard. That's gotta be. Yeah. It was so hard as it is. And then to add that on top of it, it also created a lot of emotional challenges that I think I'm just now as an adult, like I've really understood, but it was a lot of like feeling separate. So then I felt like really needy because I always felt like so disconnected and separate from, from everybody and things like that. So, so when I think about high school, I think about those nuances and how I really was not comfortable in my own skin in the truest sense of the words. And, um, Yeah. And I, when I was in high school, I learned, I really sunk into my love of singing. I had a music teacher who, Barbara Retzko, who um, was my chorus teacher. And she, she didn't have kids of her own. She lost her son actually when she was, when she was young. And so she was sort of like a mother to us. Like she really treated us, like she really, really cared about us. And it was probably the most nurturing, you know, teacher relationship that I've ever had. And so I would go to her every day. I would want to sing. I would always dream about being uh, a singer on Broadway, but I'm from an Indian family. And so like, anytime I would say something like that, they would just kind of be like, no, like people don't actually do that. Like that's not a real job. (laughs) Like, you know, typical 
things that immigrant parents especially would say. And um, so I feel like, you know, as much as I wanted to do that, my dreams sort of got squashed a little bit in that area when I was in high school. And then I also wasn't very good at school, like on top of that. And I think, again, now I've, I've done a lot of work on myself to figure out some of these nuances in my, in my past. But I think a lot of that had to do with the emotional weight that I was carrying every day, dealing with my health and not having the like mental space to navigate it all. But then also I'm, I've learned I'm a really like auditory, audible learner. I'm an experiential learner. I'm really not like a reading one-dimensional learner. I, I actually rarely absorb anything when I have to absorb it that way. And now as an entrepreneur, I'm like, great. Like, that's actually exciting to me that I understand that about myself. But as a kid, it was like a freaking nightmare because I would study and I would be told I need to take this test or, I would, you know, and I just tanked and like would not do well in school. But I felt like I was smart. So I was like, I don't understand. Like, this is like constantly telling me how stupid I am. So that was a whole chapter as well. And as I said, now I understand it. So I'm super empowered around it. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah, you can send me your book, but I'm probably not going to read it. Send me the audio version and like, I will devour it and can't wait. So that's a little bit about what my school was like. I wonder if anything is changing in school systems. I'm about to find out because my, yeah, my young or my oldest is she's in like TK right now. So like, but. Like, cause yeah, now as adults, we do learn that like, oh yeah, I'm better this way. I learn things this way. Like different people absorb information, take it on differently. Yeah. But yeah, like in school, it's just like this. Yeah, this is it. It seems like. And so yeah, way. if you don't meet by these measurements and this sort of test and that, then like you're not smart. And then like what that does to a kid's self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. So many things. And then especially, yeah, you were saying like not being comfortable in your skin, which I think is a common mm-hmm. experience for preteens and teenagers. But then the fact that you have mm-hmm. the physical outside of it, like, because that's a whole different thing, like feeling terrible in your body, but then you look healthy mm-hmm. on the outside is one thing. But then also because it looks like is it like look like rashes or like what did it look like on your body? Psoriasis? Like yeah. Yeah. It looked like um, so psoriasis is like dry skin and your skin cells basically like produce way too fast, essentially. So you get these like patches of skin cells and it depends on the type of psoriasis that you have. But what I had was like these thick, scaly patches of skin all over, and they would itch like chicken pox. So that was awful because a lot of times I'd be sitting in class and like literally itching my leg and they flake too. So the dry skin like flakes. So I'd have like flakes on the ground and then like blood on my jeans because like I scratched the shit out of my leg. That happened so often, like almost every single day. And yeah, so it, it looks, you know, it basically a lot of times, cause I would exfoliate my skin a lot. A lot of times people thought I looked like I was like burned or something like that had happened to me because it just looked like really raw, but it wasn't, it wasn't cute. 
I'm not going to lie. I mean, I know that some people out there love their psoriasis no matter what. I love it for what it's taught me, but I don't try to pretend like being covered with scaly, itchy chicken pox scales. My entire, you know, childhood was was sexy and like, cute. It was it was not easy. Yeah, I'm someone that doesn't feel like that we need to take the motto of this how is this happening for me as like for things. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, this is happening for me. It's like, sure, maybe lessons are learned or like, yeah, you got some like different confidence or, you know, like whatever. But it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, yes. And like, yes, it's happening. And I've learned empathy on another level. I have strength and resilience I never had. And this is this sucks. (laughs) And this is painful. Um, I think it's really important. Life is about holding both truths, you know, at the same time. And I think that's true. I was even talking to someone about this the other day. Like that's even true with the most basic thing of life or the most primal thing of life of giving birth. I've never given birth. I'm not planning on having children. But when I think about being a woman and, and, you know, having a child and like how excruciatingly painful I have heard it is, it's also the most beautiful moment of most women's lives. Right. And so I just think that that has so much to do with, with life in general and those truths that we're constantly holding at the same time. That's true. Cause yeah, like I can say for me, like definitely even my first, it's like, it's traumatizing and, <laughs> and amazing at the same time. Yeah. Like, yeah if, you, if you need an example for the both and like, yeah, that is a pretty good one. Yeah. It's so real. <laughs> I've heard at least. <laughs> um but and then too so did did you get picked on for that or is it more like your like fear of what people would think or both I think it was definitely both um I got picked on a lot as a kid it wasn't always directed at my skin um but I was just picked on a lot I mean I was the only brown kid in like a very white you know like neighborhood, um, a very white school for most of my child, pretty much all my childhood until I went to college. So that was a whole other experience. Um, and then, so I, I think I got picked on a lot for like being different in those ways. Um, you know, I was curvier, my hair was like thicker and, you know, I was obviously darker and just things like that. Like I would, and my name, my name, oh my God. I got picked on so hardcore for my name growing up. Um, of course, now I love the name Nitika or Nitika, which is how you say it if you're Indian. But uh, as a kid, I made everybody call me Nikki because I was just like, you guys butcher this name and you you make fun of it and you tease me for it. So there were a lot, there was a lot of teasing and bullying going on when I was growing up. And some of it was about my health, but um, not all of it. And then, yeah, I think just I internalized a lot of things because I also had a lot going on at home. Like I've always been very different than everybody else in my family. Um, You know, very outspoken, very like my mom has called me a pataki since I was two, which means firecracker in Hindi. Like I just am a pataki like through and through. I'm also an Aries. Like I just am a straight shooter. I go straight for the truth and just like try to talk about that. And even if it's like taboo or uncomfortable or not politically correct, I'm like, let's talk about that. What is that? (laughs) And in an Indian home, that's like the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. Did those characteristics stick? Would you be 
your full self in that way at school and with friends too, or just at home? Yeah, both. I was just wondering, could you know from like feeling like, yeah, like were you able to be your firecracker self at school when you were experiencing all these different forms of oh, like they're picking on me and being other? Yeah, it wasn't necessarily when I was getting teased that I would be that way at school. Like I wasn't one to like stand it wasn't so much about standing up for myself as much as it was like just being honest about like, oh, this is like, I see this thing or like, why is this like that? Or whatever, you know, things like that. I think with school, it was a little bit more like I was a firecracker in the sense of like, that's like also my neediness came out in that way, right? Like when I really needed to feel connected or I really needed to feel like I needed attention or whatever, I would just be like, kind of outspoken about it, or I would be like, you know, wouldn't let it go. Or that's like more where my intensity, I think came out with my peers. But when I was, um, you know, with family, I think it came out in a slightly different way, but I I've always been this way. I don't know how else to be. (laughs) Yeah. No, I was just wondering, yeah, if it was like, oh, you feel like safer with your family more to be like your full self, but that it was, you start like, that even though being picked on for different ways and teased and, you know, feeling different in different ways that you were able to, like, still express yourself, even yeah. if you weren't necessarily like, standing up, but, like, you didn't, like, totally, you know. Yeah, and I don't even think that I was that way because I felt safe with my family. I think it was, like, I just didn't know how else to be, and I would just get in trouble for it, like, every day. <laughs> I so. get that. I was told shut up constant every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, which is like miserable. Yeah, totally. <laughs> which same thing did the same sort of thing to me where then I ended up being someone that was constantly questioning things mm-hmm. and speaking up and asking all sorts of questions, which is good because I also see that could have made me go the other way and yep. like just stop. Totally. <laughs> and shut totally. up. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> because people didn't want to hear from me. Yeah. <laughs> that were in my home. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so what happened then? What did you end up doing after high school? You said you had like the musical theater dreams, but were being pretty much squashed. So what direction did you go? Yeah, I mean, I so I really wanted to go to school for music. Um, I grew I went to high school in New Jersey. And so the Hart School of Music in Connecticut was like a really well-known school. And my music teacher was like, you should apply. But I wasn't allowed. My parents wouldn't let me go to school for music. Obviously, still have not forgiven them for that. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I so I, I didn't go to the hard school for music, but I ended up going to that college and just kind of got a humanities degree and was like, okay, um, just to kind of get it over with, essentially. And then, funny enough, I got married actually when I was like twenty. Um, and so pretty soon, I guess, after high school, um, I ended up getting married. And so I finished school. I moved to New York, uh, where my, you know, then husband was living. And so I finished school here in New York and, um, you know, but school was kind of, uh, just something I was finishing just to say, okay, I have a college degree, but again, like I really didn't resonate with learning in that way. And um, was it also like you didn't think like, okay, I'm not going to do music, but I'll get a job this way. You were just sort of like, let me just get this degree that I'm supposed to have a degree or like. Yeah, just to have a degree. And then also I got really I got even more sick. So when I was 19, right before I started dating, you know, my ex-husband, 
I got psoriatic arthritis. And so it's like an arthritis connected with, you know, the disease psoriasis. And it really like took a really bad turn. So I, from like pretty much the whole time I was married from like 19 to about 24, 25, I couldn't really walk without severe pain. So I ended up like barely making it to class, like barely, like I I ended up extending, you know, my school. I took a semester off at one point. Like I really, it took me a long time to even finish school because I couldn't get to class and there weren't like virtual options, not to like sound like an old grandmother, but this was 20 years ago. You know, I just turned 40. So it was 20 years ago. I'm the same. I know I was like made a face because I'm like the same. <laughs> oh I God, just turned brutal. 40. I went to go 20 years ago. I'm like, wait, that wasn't That's, 20 years ago, was it? <laughs> yes, it was, which is like brutal. It does not feel that way. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I kind of like slogged through, like just trying to finish my degree and I was married at the time And, and it's, it's funny because between being an Indian woman, which is like the Indian culture is so steeped in patriarchy and just like, you know, not expecting as much from, from girls. Um, and also being really sick. Like I actually, like you've mentioned, like, what were your dreams or what were the things that you wanted? And like, I didn't really, I didn't really know that I had the right to dream for a long time. And I dreamed about music. Like that was something that I did dream about. But once that was squashed, like I didn't really know. And even during that whole process, like I didn't really know what was what was good about me. I didn't really know a lot about me. And this is something that I talk about a lot, you know, with my work now, which is like when especially when you get sick at a young age, but even when you get sick and you're and it's you're older and like it really impacts your life. It's so easy to feel that that is all that you are. And that is definitely how I felt for most of my upbringing. Like up until I was about 26, 27, I didn't really know other parts of myself. I didn't really know, like now I'm talking about it, you know, in this like packaged way, but I didn't know these parts of me when I was growing up. I just knew that I was really sick. I knew that I liked to sing, but I wasn't really allowed to. And that was kind of it. I didn't really know what my other skills were. And so when you are battling that illness back then too, and so yeah, you're like, let, okay, let me slog through to get the degree, but you're now married too. That also feels interesting to me to like, how did that feel to be okay? Because for many people, it is like, okay, I'm married. And then like, that's great. And like, you don't have also... Yeah, whoever's like, you don't have to have a big dream out there. I just like to see where people are coming from, like to be like, you know, a mother, to be a housewife, to care for other people, you know, to take care of your community is enough, like to be a human alive, enjoying your life (laughs) is enough. (laughs) But um, did from coming from your culture or you like we said, where women, you know, weren't expected to do as much was it set up then like, great, so now you're married, so you take care of your husband and your home. And then, but being ill, I'm guessing not probably being able to do that. Like, was was that coming at you too? Like these feelings, like I should be able to be like making these meals and doing that. Like, did you feel like, or did you try to, do, did you do that stuff while like feeling miserable? And like, yeah, like what was that like? Yeah, I would say I married someone who did not, 
expect me to be like a demure housewife for sure. Like he wanted, okay. he actually really loved when I sang, he really wanted me to sing. He really encouraged that side of me. And just like, I always say like, he sort of saw the version of me that I am now before I became her. Like he always saw my highest self, which is, which is such a gift. And he saw that way before I did. Like, I did not know she wow. existed. Um, so it wasn't like that between us, I would say, but because I was so sick, it was almost like, you know, he's here to take care of me is all, you know, he was, he was, you know, successful and smart and, you know, all the things. So, um, so yeah, that was almost more of what it was like. Now I can sort of sit back and if you don't have a job or you don't really do anything, like it's fine, you know, like those ladies who lunch, like it was more like that kind of a vibe. Um, but that's not me. You know, like I can't right. do that for 15 minutes. I go bored to tears like doing that. But at the time, because I was so sick, I really had to lean into just not really trying to pursue too much. I mean, I did a, a few things, you know, I like wrote for a magazine. My friend started like an Indian magazine. I did some like beauty and lifestyle writing for them way before I even knew what that meant. Um, but I was like, sure, I like to write. Why not? Like, you know, I, I just, I just uh, discovered some of those old magazine issues recently, but other than that, it wasn't like to like start a career as a journalist or to like start a career as a writer. I just happened to have a friend that was starting this magazine and I was like, that'd be a nice hobby, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> but I didn't really start to think about my own dreams until I was like 25. And what, set that into motion? Well, uh, again, uh, cause if you, if you are like, yeah, your husband, it sounds like wants to take care of you, doesn't have expectations of where's my dinner lady or yeah. I don't even know. I'm guessing there are still people <laughs> like that that exist. Still. Oh yeah, like, there definitely are. I'm going from like TV, like stereotypes. <laughs> no, cause I don't know any personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. No, there definitely are people like that still. Um, no, he was not like that at all, but yeah, you know, we got divorced when I was, um, 24 and it was a really devastating experience for me, but it also, um, you know, it also, it happened in such a way that it forced me to have to figure out like, what is, what do I want my life to look like, you know? And so in that exploration, I was still very, very, very sick. And so I was still really not able to function. Um, and I was now divorced and I was like in my early twenties, I was like, oh my God, I am literally like the biggest loser. Like what is going on? I wouldn't say that to myself right now, but that's how I felt. I mean, I was living here alone in New York city. My parents were living in Hong Kong, so they were nowhere close to me. I didn't have any really like any friends because I had been so sick while I had lived here. So it was a really, really, really dark time. And what the change was, was the one thing that I had stuck with was my voice lessons. I really, really loved voice. Wow. I really, really loved singing. I took voice lessons for like 15 years. And my voice teacher called me one day when I was like 25. And she said, you know, they're having auditions for Miss Saigon's tour. And it's the song that, they, that you can, that you've been practicing in our voice lessons, you can sing at the audition. 
And she's like, I re she's like, I know you're sick. I know you don't know that you'll actually get cast for the part or that you'll even be able to do it, but I think you should go and like, see what it's like and whatever. And I got off the phone with her and I just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Even if you wanted to go, you can't, you can't physically go. Like that was the thing that was really like, it hit me, you know? And I was just like, holy crap, like, what am I doing? I'm trying so hard. I was trying all these natural remedies. I was trying to secret my way. Yes. Like toxic positivity bullshit that I was trying to do to try to manifest being healthy. I had tried a medication years before that backfired. So then I was like trying all of these other modalities and I finally just, I called my mom in Hong Kong and I was like, I think I, I think I want more for myself. I think up until that point, as weird as that might sound, I didn't know that I was even allowed to have more for myself. I didn't know that I was capable of more, you know, and that really came from so much of these messages, like between school, between my family, between getting divorced, like all happening between the age of 10 and 24, like that were really pivotal, you know, foundational years for me as a, as a young woman, I really didn't know. And nor, and nor did I believe that I was capable or that I was allowed to have more. But that moment when that teacher called me and I realized I couldn't even get out of bed in order to go to the audition, I was like, you know what? I'm ready. I don't know what this means. I don't know what's going to happen, but I want more for myself and I'm gonna, not going to rest until I find a doctor who can help me. Maybe I have to try another medication. Maybe I have to do something I'm scared to do, but I'm finally ready to do it. So yeah, that was sort of the turning point. Um, it was a big, it was a big moment for me. So from the time that you were diagnosed, so you said you got a, like you had tried medication and it backfired. Did that make you then like not go back and then just try a bunch of natural yeah. When Things. I was 10, like between 10 and 19, like biologics and like those kinds of medications that are super common, like you might see commercials for like different psoriasis medications now, those weren't common when I first got diagnosed. And also I was so young that they really didn't want to put me on anything like that. So I would just do topical stuff for just my skin. But then when I got the arthritis, my bones started to deform and I tried a medication that actually ended up making my arthritis a lot worse. So mm -hmm. it became really scary to go back yeah. on another medication. I think a lot of people deal with this kind of thing, like medical PTSD. And yeah. so I ended up learning about the secret and like, oh, well, apparently this book tells me and all these, you know, gurus are telling me that I can just like think about being healthy and then I will be healthy. Oh my God, literally the most infuriating period of my life. But, but that's what I really, I was told that so many times, so often by so many people who claim to be gurus that I was like, okay, there must be something yeah. wrong with me that I'm not able to do this. I better figure this out. I never picked up on like that, you know, I, well, I never got into the secret, but I remember I worked in the entertainment industry and there was an artist I worked with that was into the secret. And then like her whole camp got into it. And it was like people that you would never because it's like roadies, like dude roadies in their 40s that were then like, OK, the secret. But most of them were coming from it, I guess, like a bunch, you know, like I had never seen anybody equate it to their health or think about that until like the last year I started to realize like, 
Oh, yeah. Like, and I never got, like, I don't, people have been like, people call me like a manifester and stuff like that. And I've never been comfortable with the word manifest. And I'm like, well, yeah, I do like convince myself that I'm, you know, like want something and then I show up and take a lot of actions and I make it happen. So like I make things happen. So I guess I manifest them, but I like, it takes a lot of action in my mind, but also in the life. Mm -hmm. But so like, I've always been uncomfortable. So I wasn't, I never jumped on any of those boards, even though I've been in a lot of, you know, positivity realm. And I do, yeah, I'm like, I share positivity. But yeah, like that idea of like, I never realized that people were taking that or that there were even people preaching really that that like yeah oh you can God, change yes, your health. Like, there's a whole thing in the freaking secret about how someone had cancer and then they just like kept thinking that they were oh, positive every day and then oh my god they went to the doctor and their screenings were clear like there are so, there are countless books it's not just the secret i'm using that as like a you know yeah. archetype but there are countless 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 books and i mean especially with the crisis going on in India right now, I'm really thinking about, you know, just the wellness yogi, like conversation in general here in America and just how much of it is just really not rooted in the spirituality that it needs to be. It's really, I believe a lot more about a manipulation tactic than it really is about, you know, the true spiritual nature of being aligned in the divine rhythm of life. That is very different than saying I'm going to manipulate the universe and like assume that I'm going to be cancer free. You know, that is not the same thing. And people are making millions and millions and millions of dollars off of this, which I have a lot of frustration around because there are a lot of sick people who are getting exploited as a result. And I, I really believe that was a huge part of my journey. I mean, it, I'm not saying, you know, anyone made me do that. Right. But I was a 20 year old kid suffering so, so badly, really in serious physical trauma. And the only messages I kept getting were, you're not really sick. It's a dis-ease. The disease is in your mind. You should just think about these things. I have, I have countless, you know, accounts of people in the wellness industry, which mind you, I was in the freaking wellness industry for most of my career. So I'm not saying that every human in the wellness industry is doing bad work. That is not what I'm saying, but this is an umbrella right? So that's that this is a, this is a generalized uh, majority statement is how, is how I feel about it. But I've had countless experiences when I was going through my health journey of people, as I was expressing to them how much pain I was in people reaching over to me and saying that pain is in your mind. You should just think this mantra. And I'm like, it's actually mantra but thank you. Um, you know, so I mean, if people who are listening could see me right now, as I like shake my head and like, you know, flick my fingers and I'm like, don't start to get me fired up about this Trisha, because I have a lot to say about it. And it's, it's very personal to me because I really experienced it for a very, very, very long time. Bringing you a brief interruption since I'm talking to Nitika today, and we both have chronic illnesses that are much different than each other. 
Something that really helps me is this infrared sauna blanket that I have. You do not need to have chronic pain or chronic illness to enjoy it. I have turned so many people onto it. It's just a great self-care thing, like an actual self-care thing that heals your body, resets your mind, your nervous system. You get in it. It's sort of like a sleeping bag, but it's heated. I wear long pants, long sleeve shirt, socks, keep a lot of water nearby. I will turn a show on or you could turn an audiobook on or a podcast. And then I stay in the thing for about 45 minutes to an hour and sweat all the toxins, the stress, the pain, the achiness away. It really helps my body, my mind, my nervous system. I already said that, but it also like so often, you know, like we're trying to relax, but then we end up picking up our phone and scrolling or let me just do some work on my computer or I'm online shopping or whatever. We like multitask our relaxation evenly, even. And this thing makes me just stay in the damn sweat bag, (laughs) watch the show, be fully tuned into it, fully rest, fully relax. And it really does a miracle for my body. I sometimes use it in the morning, sometimes at the end of the day, sometimes midday to re energize. It's amazing. Go check it out. I even have a $75 off code for you. It's Joy75. You can use the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly backslash joy sauna. That's S-U-N-A. Again, the link will be in the show notes or you can also DM me at your joyologist or at underscore Trisha Huffman and I'll send you the code. Also feel free to DM me any questions about it. They have an interest-free payment plan which makes it easy to get. And again, you can use my code JOY75 for $75 off. Okay, let's get back to the episode. You dedicated not like, let me just try this out for a couple months. It was like six right? years. Like they were like year, holy shit. And so in that I make up, you're experiencing like then so much more like shame oh, or so guilt much. because if I'm supposed to be able to mindset or whatever manifest, I don't know what the words they use to get this out of my body. If I'm the one that's creating this disease in my body and I have not gotten rid of it, then like I'm not doing it right i'm failed like where am i fucking up the step is like is it that sort of thing like you're really just like yeah it's like you already have the pain and then you're feeling shitty because you're somehow not doing whatever right yeah i mean i don't mean to like throw around the ptsd phrase you know casually i think people people do in a way that you know really takes the the seriousness of it out of out of the the condition but i i really had this edgy anxiety constantly. Like if I would think about something like, let's say, you know, I just got an email and I was like really upset or something and valid. It's super valid. I got an email. It really bothered me. Something bad happened. And I would start to think something negative. I would have such tremendous anxiety because I would be like, Nitika, oh my God. Okay. You need to just think positively. If you think positively, you'll be okay. Like, I know you're trying to, you know, make your psoriasis better. Like it's going to be okay. It's going to be like not a centimeter or a millimeter even, you know, of room to be able to think in any way that wasn't perfectly positive. And that is what a lot of these books preach to you. And I think that's where my problem really lies. It's not that I, I'm, you know, not sitting around like thinking of things that 
are negative all the time. It's not like I don't practice, you know, mantras, affirmations. It's not that I don't do that. But what this particular industry is really promoting is that they don't want to sit with me in my pain. And that's what I have a problem with. You want to sell me the affirmation and tell me that you have the answer, but you're not willing to sit with me in my pain. And that doesn't work for me because there is way too much pain for me to hold, which means that you're telling me that it's, it's really just my fault because I have this pain. It's just really, um, yeah, I didn't mean for this conversation to take this turn, but this is what I literally think about this all day. I think about this all the time. Yeah, no, I love that this is where the conversation has gone. I think it's really great, to be honest, to have this conversation. And thank you for sharing so well. And I, yeah, I, like I said, even though I never got super into, like a lot of my work has come from my own experiences. And that too was coming from a lot of being in pain and undiagnosed pain. I om- I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was 18, but I lived with it for many years and went to all sorts of specialists. I almost took my own life when I was at 15 because of the physical pain and the not knowing, but also because of the shittiness of like, what is we even yep. here for? And I don't think anybody cares about me. But But that was a big moment for me because it made me sort of be like, well, then fuck you, everyone. I'm going to live my life because I don't fucking know what's going to happen or whatever. So it was a lot of, you know, it's also created a difference. Some things were like, I, you know, I don't need people like I created own challenges for myself become of being like, I'm going to live my life. But so a lot of what I've shared is just my own stuff. But I have like taken different workshops and read different books and stuff. But I actually never got super into personal development, even though I'm into personal development. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> but so as I'm saying, so I would sort of like pick and like see things. But I do remember at a point starting to really journal and like trying the morning pages style of journaling, you know, where it's like mm-hmm. let everything on the page. And that's like an aha moment that I share about a lot. And it's too, because I did catch myself getting to starting to write down, which would be a negative thought, which was a doubt or a fear or a worry I had in this brain dumping of emotions. And I would stop myself you know, be like, I can't write that because if I write that, then it's real and I'm supposed to be positive. And I remember being like, this, it was a big moment for me and being like, well, if it's coming out of me, then it already is real. And like, but I was afraid to write it down because like, wait, does that mean I'm going to manifest this? So like, you know, so it's like, I had these inklings of it, even though I wasn't like practicing that stuff or following those people. But I remember having this big thing, like, I can't do that. And then me seeing again, but like, that is real. And like, that's where, like, for me, that was the big thing. Like, I have to address these things or else I won't be able, like, I have to feel the pain. I have to feel these things. I have to sit with them so that I can move through them. And that's where my affirmations come from. So I am someone who's sharing affirmations, but I even regularly share. And I even have, like, I don't do it every week, but I create affirmations every week. And once a month-ish, sometimes more, I will ask people to write in and say, what is something you are struggling with? What is something you're having a hard time with? What's a doubt or fear you have? And then we, I will create affirmations for you. And I was like, that's how I create my affirmations. It's because I am getting real with myself about what it is that I am struggling with. So then I can start to work through it and think these other thoughts and create support and build over it. But I'm like, I'm being constantly having to, to be clear, like, it's not just saying the positive stuff and thinking the positive stuff. It only works. Works if you are actually facing 
the real stuff that you are feeling, thinking, and believing. And it's not as easy as I'm just going to say this and it's going to (laughs) disappear, but it will help. But the real work is actually in the naming of what is the like a hard thing, the struggle thing that you don't want to face and admit. And some people will be like, oh my God, that was so hard for me to even type. And I'll be like, I know that's the point. That's the point. Like, (laughs) that's the point. Like for them to write anonymously into a box, like people have said like, that's so hard. Like, you know, I was like, that's the point. Mm -hmm. But by you owning that, then you can then start to like sit with it and ask it questions and move through it. Yeah. Um, I didn't... I don't know where else I meant to go. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that 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 all makes sense, and and I think that that's it. You know, that's it. That's that's why I want to make it clear. Like, I'm not saying that affirmations are bad. I use affirmations constantly. Like, I'm working on moving right now. I'm hoping to move soon, and it's bringing up a lot of anxiety. It's a big change for me. All these things. And so I have to constantly affirm, like I'm doing the best that I possibly can. I'm being as thoughtful as I possibly can, but it doesn't mean that I'm like, oh my God, don't think about your anxiety. Don't, don't, don't let yourself do that. Oh my God. No, no, no. You can't think about that. That's not true. You don't want to manifest that. That's a whole different experience, you know? And I think what makes me angry about a lot of conversations in the wellness or self-help spaces is that they won't sit with us in our truth, you know? And I'm just like, you don't get to profit off of, you know, this, this one side of me without holding all of me, you know, that's just, that's how I feel about it. And, um, I think it's really, really powerful to be able to acknowledge things are not. And that's the other thing also about self-love. Like I've talked about self-love a lot and I I teach about self-love a lot in the work that I do, but I always say to people, it is not, if, if this works for you, fine. But for most people, it's not the downward dog, you know, $25 green juice spinning four times a day, whatever the hell it's not that it's, it's really about you having compassion for yourself first. And that is so hard that there's so much pain in that there's so much challenge in that. And that doesn't usually look like, oh my God, okay, I have psoriasis all over my body. So these people say I should just like love it. And I should just be like, oh my God, I'm so beautiful because that's what I need to tell myself. No, when I tried to do that, when I was covered with psoriasis, the first thing that came up for me was a tremendous amount of rage. It was not pretty love. It was rage. I was so angry that my body had had to go through that, that I had had been born in this body, that I had had to hold all of that pain. And only by acknowledging the rage, by acknowledging all of the grief that's coming up for me on top of that, could I then go to not even love yet, like a little bit of acceptance, a little bit of compassion. Okay. This is the body that I have. That is the most I could go to initially. And I could just maybe say that for weeks and that was it. And then maybe I could say, you know what? My body is strong. I appreciate that my body is really strong, you know, or whatever the thing is for you. Right. But it wasn't freaking, Oh, I love my body and all my scales. I was like, no, fuck that shit. I do not. (laughs) 
(laughs) You know, and I think if I had been scared and felt like I didn't have the space to do that, I wouldn't have been able to to love the, to eventually love those parts of myself. I would have been denying my truth over and over and over again. Well, and that's what, yeah, like I am trying to destigmatize those sorts of things too, because a lot of self-help and personal development stuff can actually be more shame inducing where you could even be like, mm-hmm. I'm not doing self-love, right? Yep. Cause I can't get right to, I love my body yep. and my psoriasis. Like I'm only getting here. It's like, so then it's like, yeah, you're just creating more shame. <laughs> instead of like making actual steps for it and that too like to make space for ourselves as humans like we're gonna have doubts fears Mm -hmm. judgments worries stress for the rest of our life Mm -hmm. but we don't have to sit in you know like it's just like but if you're like able to accept that part of yourself see what's happening and then again like oh i don't have to accept that first thought Mm -hmm. what is the reality here but yeah i think people are like we're working towards this or not we it can personal development and self-help stuff can make you believe that you're working to like this like perfect end goal. And so then you yeah. fucked up mm-hmm. if you judged yourself, if you did this yeah. or whatever. And it's like, that's how our brains operate. But seeing able to being able to accept that and hold the space for it and how you have so beautifully said about like having the space for the pain, your pain and sit with yourself in that mm-hmm. too. So important. And allow yourself the compassion. Okay, let's get back to, <laughs> so you finally were like, I, yeah, I want more for myself or I, so you went to start to see doctors and did you get yeah, some I ended real up support? getting Yeah, I ended up finding a doctor who basically told me that if I didn't start a specific kind of medication, I, I take a biologic, but I'm obviously not giving anyone medical advice. So please consult your doctors. I'm not a medical doctor or practitioner. Um, but what, what ended up being the best for me was, was a biologic and, and this, this rheumatologist who I saw for my arthritis, cause that was really the, the, the psoriasis was really bad too, but I really couldn't live with the pain. I mean, I felt like a truck was running over me every single day. And I know with fibromyalgia, I know that there's so much pain involved with that too, for a lot of people. So yeah, I, I couldn't live with that pain anymore. So what he said was that if I didn't start something to stop the, like, um, the deformity in my bones that were starting to take place, he said, you're going to be completely immobile by the time you're 30. And I was 25 at that point. So he said, you know, it's scary, but what's scarier is you not having a, a life to live. And that was a really big turning point for me too, because I was just like, oh yeah, what do I want my life to be like, I had never thought about, you know, like being, having this full abundant life and people find that so hard to believe because I think a lot of my friends are always like, you have the picture of a full life, you know, like you have such a full life, but I never thought that I was going to have that. I never even thought, I just didn't even know that was an option, you know? And it was really this doctor helping me understand that I do have so much life to live. I do have so many things to look forward to. And so, yeah, I started this medication when I was 25 and within two weeks I was skipping down the street. Wow. Yeah. And I've been on that medication for the last 15 years. There's been some ups and downs, little things I've had to change here and there, but for the most part, I've been on that same medication. So. And then how did you, yeah. Like, did you start then auditioning for things or what was your next? Like, okay, I'm giving myself a chance here or like, what did that look like? Yeah. I mean, this, I don't want this podcast to be 25 hours long. I literally could tell you so many things, but I'll, (laughs) I'll sum it up and say that, you know, I think that gave me the, 
the ticket to like start to dream about what I wanted. And music had always been really important to me. But I think by this point, I had spent enough time not pursuing that, that I was like, I knew I had this performer in me. I knew that I was good at that. That was something that I was like, I don't know how many skills I have, but like that is one skill I feel like I'm good at. And I also knew I had a story to tell about what I had just been through. And so I I went through a, a long you know, a few years period of time of searching. I was in real estate for a while. I was a waitress. I was like all these things in New York city, you know, super common to do all these things. And I started coaching with the coaching group, which was positive in the sense that I met a lot of women that were just like me in a lot of ways, not with their health, but had had challenging situations or, you know, were entrepreneurs at heart or, you know, I met people that were a reflection of where I wanted to be. And I had never known anybody to do the, those things before. So it was a really eye-opening experience for me. And I'm a very spiritual person. So I also was like praying a lot at the time. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? I felt this call for something, but I didn't know what it was for like a little while. And what ended up coming through was like, I heard God say, I know that sounds kooky when I say that, but this is, this is how my spirituality works is like, I hear messages from God from time to time. And I heard God say, you should have a talk show. And I was like, I was so annoyed. I'm not even going to lie. Cause I was like, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> did you get the address for this message wrong? I used to say that to God for so long. I was like, I just got divorced. I just started like walking properly. I have barely any money. I have like one friend, like I have no resources. Like, how do you expect me to do this exactly. Like the only people that I have talk shows are like Ellen and Oprah. Like, what are you even saying to me? I was so annoyed. And then eventually I, you know, through lots of different internal, <laughs> internal battles, I, I really felt like, okay, fine. I'm going to take this on. I, I believe you. I believe that this was, this message was meant for me. I don't totally get what you're doing, but I believe that this is where you want me to go. And then when I looked into it, there's so many different ways you can pursue a dream like that. And I was like, well, I don't have any money and I don't have any friends. So I basically have to figure this out on my own. And that was when I said, well, the one thing I don't have to wait for anyone to do is for me to like create a platform. And mind you, again, not to sound like a grandmother, but this was like 12, you know, 12 years or so ago, you know, so when we didn't use the term platform, <laughs> no, we didn't, we didn't use, know what that meant. <laughs> we, I, I was not an influencer. There was no Instagram. There was barely Facebook that like I barely even had a Facebook. I don't even think I I think I actually started one because I was starting my career. Um, so anyway. I decided to create an online magazine. I had this crazy idea that, okay, I guess I could create a platform because I don't have to have anybody make that for me. I'm going to have a platform. It's going to call, be called Bella Life and I'm going to have contributors and then I'm going to have videos of myself on there and then I'm going to have different content. And so someday someone will see this platform and they'll be able to see a show. And I was kind of like, this is either the most brilliant or most idiotic thing I have ever done. And three years later, I ended up getting hired for my own talk show on global television for a South Asian network. And they literally said to me, your website is like the exact show that we're making. We're making a show called Naturally Beautiful. And your website is called Bella Life. And we 
feel like we've been waiting for you. And I'm like, I have been waiting for you. Wow. Like, you know, and so, yeah, that was the start of, of my, my entrepreneurial career. I quit my real estate job and I ended up, you know, doing that for two and a half seasons. It still airs globally, like the reruns. Wow. That's um, cool. But yeah. And then I went from there. <laughs> So at that time, so you were doing real estate and then on the side being like, I'm going to build this space that I'll like, you know, plant seeds for this dream or the, not even the dream for this um, message you had received. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> this annoying but accurate message. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. And so you've done different things. Well, yeah. When did you decide to start Chronicon? And was that just meant to be started as a live event? Like where did, cause yeah, I feel like when I met you, which was, oh my God, probably 10 years ago now. Or, yeah. Something like that. If not yeah. eight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I'm like, it was the first soul camp probably. Oh, that wasn't eight years ago. That was, that was a while ago though. Yeah. Four. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going into weird years. Anyway. It's a while ago. Yeah. So did you pretty much have stayed in different, like, what would you call that? beauty lifestyle. I mean, it is self-help, you know, as much as I like self, that's what I was going to say. Like, like, <laughs> fr fr like that's part of why I, I'm so frustrated by it, you know, because I've been so intimately connected to it for so long and felt like, so like, so not aligned with it for so long, but also it was the closest option that I had. Right. So yeah, I would say, you know, I started Bella life 10, 11, 12 years ago, but then I kind of, you know, I was on QVC for a while. I was doing lifestyle beauty stuff with different companies, really talking about how skincare was an access point to self-love because that was a huge part of my personal journey with my health. And so I would talk a lot about beauty. And then I would say in about 2016, 2017, 2018 even, I really hit a wall with a, with a lot of that stuff. And I really felt like I wasn't really happy um, I was, it, it, nothing was ever fake that I was saying. Nothing was ever like a lie or anything like that. But I mean, you hear me, you know, talking to you, I have a lot of truth to tell. Like, I don't mind going yeah. to the depth of what I really feel is the truth. And I wasn't doing that in the work, right? I was like, it was very one note, like very sweet, very flowery, very whatever, which is fine. There's still a lot of me that, that has that side of my personality too. That's, a, that's truly a part of me, but it wasn't all of me. And I think I had to go through a period of being like, there's so much more that I want to tell. There's so much more that I want to talk about. And there was just this long period of, of also doing a lot of emotional work on myself, a lot of self-discovery, figuring out what I really cared about. And over a series of years, I sort of realized that, you know, there was nothing I knew more than what it's like to live with a chronic illness from an emotional perspective. There is nothing I know more than that experience. And there is nothing that reward that is more rewarding than when I talk to someone who is in that experience or knows that experience and I help them feel less alone. There is nothing that brings me more peace and harmony and fulfillment in my life. And so it was a series of sort of gathering this truth, gathering these understandings of, and realizing that. And then, um, yeah, I, I went to CurvyCon in 2018 
which is the thing. And um, yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah, before. I had a friend who was modeling there. And so she just brought me and I was like, oh my God, these curvy, voluptuous women, they're all so beautiful. And it was really eye-opening for me. It was like this experience of like, no one was like belittling or like pacifying or patronizing these curvy women. They weren't like, oh, sure, we'll try to find you something. They were like, oh my God, can you please come to our booth and like wear our clothes? Cause you're freaking amazing. And it was, it was really like perspective shift shifting for me because I could see that that's deeply healing. That's not just, oh, that's cute that I have a nice dress. That is healing on a cellular level for someone in a marginalized community of any kind that now feels seen on such a deep level and has true space for their, their experience, you know? So I was walking around CurvyCon and long story short, I came up with Chronicon in, in the conference. I was walking around and I was like, oh my God, what would it be like? The first thing for some reason that I thought of was getting a pedicure because that used to always be really hard for me because of my psoriasis. I would get a lot mm. of looks and people would be like, what's wrong with you and whatever. So I never used to get pedicures as a kid. I mean, as you know, a young woman <laughs> and um, not, I didn't get them as a kid, but as a young woman in my twenties, <laughs> I never got them. And I thought about it. I was like, oh my God, what would it be like to go somewhere where like you walk up and they're like, girl, come over here with your flaky skin. Yes, we've got the perfect scrub for this. Like you are so gorgeous, you know, like, and you're just perfect the way you are. Like, we can't wait to, to make you feel beautiful, you know, to remind me of how beautiful you are. And so, yeah, I started thinking of names and I was like, what would it be called? And then I thought of Chronicon while I was walking around. So, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that's what like, yeah, but you were just thinking event like an in-person event? Or did you start to think deeper? Because now you have like an online, what is it like? Community. Um, what would you call it? Yeah, I was going to say community. Yeah. Yeah. I I had initially just thought of the event. Um, but, you know, what ended up happening was like Chronicon, I mean, even the live event, it took on a life of its own in a lot of ways. Like I had a huge media company asked to buy it from me, like before we wow. even had the live event. And that was... And it was so far, there's only been one, right? Because COVID happened. And this was six weeks before the live one even happened. They were like, we want to buy your company. Wow. Like it was really, really, it took on this life of its own. And I think, I think it just, it just was like an affirmation of how much it, there's a need for it. You know, there, the reason why I, I felt so passionate about starting Chronicon is because there are over 133 million Americans that currently that we know of that have a chronic illness. And that's a number the National Health Council gave us in 2019. So that's like before the pandemic is even a thing. And whenever I meet someone that has a chronic illness, the, the common factor between all of us, no matter what condition, is that we all feel incredibly alone in that experience, right? It doesn't mean our whole life is alone, right? I have a very full yeah. life but I don't know any, I'm not close with anyone who has psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis. I don't know a single person who has my health experience. Right. And so yes. it was, I'm not great at math, but I was like, this math does not add up. How can there be hundreds of millions of us? And every time I meet someone, they're completely alone in their experience. That doesn't make any sense. So it started off as, as yes, an event. And I was like, I'll definitely do this every year, like all that stuff. But even before the pandemic, what I really realized is the shift that I want us to make is a lot like I see with the curvy community. 
So what I mean by that is, you know, curvy, let's say women, although they're curvy, um, you know, non-binary folks and, and men as well, but curvy women, especially were like, okay, first of all, you're not making any clothes for us. You're not you're like, we don't have wedding dresses. We don't have pantsuits. We don't have anything to make us feel beautiful. Please help us feel less alone, less isolated. And then if you're not going to, not only like, are you stupid to not do that, but we are so freaking fabulous and so beautiful. It's now a multi-billion dollar industry, right? And they're curvy women everywhere. It's not like, I mean, there's still work to be done, but it's not like just a token person on the corner. It's like, no, their whole, there's a whole industry dedicated to them now. So I really see that for chronic illness. I feel like we should have yoga studios, classes, we should be in marketing everywhere and not as a token person in the corner. If anyone saw the two of us, they would not know that either of us had chronic illnesses, but we do. And so I want there to be a systemic shift, a market shift, a, you know, media shift. That's what I'm really committed to. I'm just trucking along one person at a time, you know, doing it on my own. But we, we did start the chronic con community, um, because of the pandemic, especially we decided to, to shift from a live event to a online membership. So people can, we have workshops every week. It's like my favorite place on the internet. Like if I could just live there on the internet and not have to be anywhere else, I would do that. Um, and so people join that and, and that's how we continue to do the work, like with the people, um, which is like my favorite thing. But then there's also this other conversation about having a, an overall media shift that I think is really important and I'm super committed to. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And like, so what in the like membership or like, is the main focus like, yeah, for people to not feel so alone, like what type of things are happening in there? Or like, is it sharing, you know, tips for coping and healing? Or is it just mainly like support of like, you know, a space to be heard and accepted or all of the above? <laughs> yeah, I think the thing that I'm most proud of with the membership is that it's unlike any place that you'll ever see for chronic illness. Typically, people who I've never seen a place. Well, that's true. Okay, so that's the first thing is that people don't typically see anything. But a lot of times if you do, like, let's say you just got diagnosed or you're trying a new medication or something, your doctor will tell you to find a support group on Facebook or find a support group through something. Right. And it usually a lot of our a lot of the members have come from other groups that are super depressing super Debbie Downer. It's like, it's kind of like you're in there and you're just like, listen, I already have a chronic illness. I don't need to know about how awful yours is every day. Like I am already dealing with how awful mine is. And I want to try to like lift myself up and would love some help in that experience. So in Chronicon, when you join, first of all, everyone is the nicest, kindest human being. Everyone is so friendly, so supportive. I'm now at this place now that the membership has grown where like, I just feel like I post things and I share things and then I just let them, you know, do their thing. And they're so supportive of each other. They're always rooting each other on. They're always like following up with each other and messaging each other. It's really a community that isn't about let's focus on how sick we are. It's about let's focus on how full we want our lives to be, but through the lens of I understand that you also are going through this thing. So mm. we say a lot, like we have workshops every single week, like this whole month of May, our theme is about um, 
about creativity and letting creativity guide you on your healing journey. April was about acceptance and like, how do we even get to acceptance? We've had incredible guest speakers like Ruthie Lindsay. Um, We have this month in May, we have Ingrid Nielsen, a really good friend of mine, Paula Mendoza, incredible activists. Like they're all coming to the Chronicon community to talk about their experiences, even if they don't have chronic illnesses, but like with grief, with creativity, with different aspects of their lives. And so it's not about let's focus on, oh, you're a sick person. It's like, let's focus on all that you are while also being able to acknowledge, oh, listen, I don't want my camera to be on today because I was just covering from endometriosis surgery. Great girl. The chat is there for you. Let's, let's hang out like no worries. Or I have a migraine, so I can't look at the screen, but I'm here. Like it's about that, right? So it's just... Honestly, Trisha, we could have a whole conversation just about this because I love the Chronicon community (laughs) so much. I talk about it all the time. Um, It's my happiest. It's probably the thing I I might be the most proud of in my career that we have that because it's just, I think it's really helping a lot of people. Awesome. And so, yeah, is that like, is getting more media exposure on chronic illness and building the Chronicon community pretty much like what your main focus is these days? Yeah, I would say... You know, growing our membership is really like getting more and more members to sign up. I think that there's a, we've actually gotten a lot of press. I, we got press in Allure. I'm in Better Home and Garden this month, uh, Newsweek last month. Um, I actually was in the New York Times for something. So like press is not so So much of a thing for me right now. It's really about how do I find the people that are like our people. Cause I can really tell there's a certain type of person that joins and that comments on our posts right away and is ready. Like they're excited. They're ready to step up for themselves. They're ready to show up for themselves. And so we're really looking for those people who wants to join us and who wants to really add that to their life. Got it. Okay. I'm going to ask you the questions I ask everybody. First, I'm going to pull up an image of phrases that go on my keychains in my product line. And I ask everybody to pick the phrase that not necessarily they like the most, but which one they feel they need as a reminder in their life right now and why. Mm, There's so many good ones. (laughs) I'm like, can I have like a mile long keychain, which is like every single single one of these? Um, The one that's probably standing out to me the most is fuck your fears. Um, Even though I don't normally swear publicly that much, but um, that is the one that is standing out for me for sure. Why do you feel like that one's calling to you? I mean, it's it's so not based on anything that we really talked about, but I think this move, you know, that's happening right now, it's really a move. All right, you're mo- physically I'm moving. moving. Yeah, I've and you've I, been in I've, your space for how long? I've lived in my apartment for nine years. My my holy shit! I know it's a long time in New York, especially. My parents and I uh, own this place, so it's been a very like comforting, a very like stable, secure, you know, experience to live here. And that's been really great. I think I really, I went through a lot of healing in my thirties in this place. I think I needed those roots and that stability, but, uh, I think I need to shake things up. I think I need some expansiveness. I think I live in the upper West side, which is definitely more families and a little, a lot more older, Um, and I think I need, I I just turned 40 and I'm single and I'm just like, 
you're either going to die alone in this apartment or (laughs) you need to like, just kind of trust yourself and go and get out a little bit more. So I'm moving to Williamsburg in July. Um, and I'm nervous. (laughs) Exciting. And that's too, since we were talking about like the space, like, you know, like, I think we can be like nervous is wrong or I'm scared of that. And it's like, yeah, you can be scared and nervous and excited. Like, you know, it's like, we can start to like, like, oh, don't don't want that. And like, "Hmm, what else can you make space for? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Totally. I'm excited for you. Thank you. Um, Okay. What is something you do to raise your joy levels? Ooh. You know, there's, there's a lot of things I do, but I would say the thing that's coming up for me is like just dreaming, like envisioning, right? I feel like there's, yeah, I was told so much as a kid, like, don't do that almost like, you know, like you don't know what's going to happen or like, you know, be in fear. (laughs) But one of the things that really helps even through this moving process or even through work and and stuff like that, I'll just, especially when I don't know what's going to happen, I'll just start to be like, well, what would that look like? Or like, oh, what are the fun parts of this thing that I really want for myself that I can focus on? And how can I dream about that? Like, I want to get a new couch or like, I want to decorate or like, oh, how can I, you know, like that kind of thing. I think dreaming and kind of, yeah, mentally planning in that fun way is like really helpful for me. I love that you said that. I'm like, yeah, I've been sharing a lot about that in like solo episodes and stuff too. Cause I think it's like something that, yeah, most of us don't even like give ourselves space to do and just think about. And that's something even like I can, because I'm getting ready to move too. And so it's even like, I'm going to need new furniture. And like, then I'll start to fear about the cost of things. And instead, and I'll be like, yes, that is true. I'm going to need to make space for that budget. But then I'll allow myself to be like, yeah, like, well, what kind of couch would I want? Like, so shifting again, like, okay, noticing the real fear, the reality of, yep, you're going to need to like put money aside to that. And then like allowing myself to go into if you got to pick a couch, what would it look like? I'm like, great, maybe this brand. You know what? You could look on OfferUp and see if anybody's selling that brand couch. Like, it's just like these things, like allowing myself, tuning into what I'm feeling, allowing myself to dream, then gives me possibilities that are reality-based. Like, yep, I could save and get that big thing. I could also then do this and get creative. Mm -hmm. Like, totally. I love that, the tapping into like the dreaming and envisioning. Okay, ask everybody how to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So maybe like a habit or a way of being they are. What is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. Well, what's coming up for me right now is what is easiest for me is staying up really freaking late, like on my phone, (laughs) just like plugged into the internet. Um, What is best for me is going to sleep way earlier and like having less technology at night. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you're not alone. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully by stating it out loud, maybe tonight you will remind yourself what is best. Tonight is a new night. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The last question is the name of my podcast is Claim It. Because I feel so often we are putting like, you know, we're searching for whether it's in personal development or our life. Like once I have this, then I'll feel enough. Once I 
you know, look this way. Once I do this, then I'll feel fulfilled, worthy enough, successful, that we're constantly putting these feelings outside of ourselves and that I feel we can claim or work to claim those feelings (laughs) and have acceptance for ourselves right now. So what is something you are claiming for yourself right now? I'm claiming that I am ready and worthy of expansion in my life. Yes, I love that. And when you first started to talk about your move, I felt like expansive was what I felt. And then you ended up saying it too. And then now that you just said it, Mm -hmm. I'm like, woo! Yes! (laughs) Yes. Okay, cool. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, That's what I feel. I feel like it's calling me, but I'm just like freaking out a little. So... Uh, and that's a, that's normal. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I'm excited for you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for sharing so much. Seriously, I love when like conversations go places that I didn't like. Oh, right. Wow. I love that we're going here. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thanks for having me on the show. It was great. You're so welcome. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I always love to see where conversations will end up going. For more information on Nitika and the Chronicon community, I will have the links. You can go to Chronicon on Instagram, chronicon.com. For full show notes, go to yourdryologist.com backslash podcast and you'll find all the episodes there for links and more detailed on what we talked about for all things me yourdryologist.com and you can find me now on social media i've i am both at yourdryologist and also my main account now is underscore trisha huffman so at underscore Trisha Huffman, if you were already following me at Your Joyologist, the name just changed and the Your Joyologist shop account changed back to Your Joyologist. I am stepping into owning my name and my work and my words. Uh, I'll probably share a solo episode on that. <laughs> and um Yep. Still, the website is yourjoyologist.com. You can also go to trishahuffman.com. Right now, they're the same website. But woohoo, I'm making some changes over here. All right. Um, Again, if you haven't yet, please subscribe and uh, leave a review. Screenshot it to me and send it at podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I will send you a gift. Reminder, I have a daily inspiration app that is in the Apple Store, Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. I've got one-on-one coaching back available, which I freaking love. I've got a product shop. Um, I got lots of stuff, lots of YouTube videos, lots of things to support you and empower you. Let's leave the final thought of the day. You know what? Since we were talking about getting real with our doubt, our, our, our thoughts, how about for the final thought, name a doubt or fear that you have right now. What is something that you are afraid to say, afraid to do, afraid to be, or a doubt of something that's holding you back from something that you want to do? So allow yourself to name it and then move around it. Get real with yourself. What do I believe? You can doubt your doubts. What do you want to believe? What do you want to believe? So name the doubt, name the fear, and then ask yourself, what do I want to believe? 